Well, I'm sure glad to see everybody this morning. Um, I'm thinking this. I can't remember what. There we go. Right there. Okay, this, you know, I have to mute and unmute my mic since we kind of have to run back and forth to the sound booth. So I don't sometimes know when my microphone's on or when it's off or when it's on. And, uh, you know, uh, I get a little confused every now and then. So y'all got to bear with me. I want you to turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. And as, um, as uh, we turn there, I want to talk to you about these chairs because I'm so grateful for these chairs. You know, uh, We've had a mixed match set of chairs for a really long time. And, uh, you know, we've taken, like, when we started the church, we took some donated chairs from different people. And uh, there are certain things that, you know, like, we, we'd like to spend money on, but chairs isn't one of them for some reason. I just don't think we need to buy chairs, you know. Anyway, what I was thinking about, because yesterday I came up and just spent some time here at the church and filled up the, the, the water trough for the baptism this morning and, and uh, I was setting out the chairs, and I was praising God, praying over the chairs, um, just thanking him. And Kobe was with me, and we, he was helping me set them up. And I was thinking about the chairs. And there is, I don't know if y'all remember him or not. There's a Spanish pastor, his name, we call him Pastor Victor. And he pastors down there in Mexico. He's actually over an association of churches in Mexico. About 25 or so churches down there that he kind of uh, helps keep them going, keep them along. Well, I can remember him saying things to me like this because we've, we visit, I see him a couple times a year and he comes by and talks to me and, and what, right after I met Victor, well, he would, he would talk about stuff like musical instruments, amplifiers, and that sort of thing. And he would say these words to me, I'll never forget, he says, he says uh, Wade, what's no good for Texas is good for Mexico. What's no good for Texas is good for Mexico. What he's saying is our old stuff that we don't use anymore, he'd be glad to take it and use it. And I got thinking about these chairs, and I thought, you know, what's no good for Cleveland Bible, good for Chisholm Trail Church. Praise the Lord. You know, and so anyway, I'm just great. Anyway, you know, to look out there and have all matching chairs, it's kind of weird, but I, I like it anyway. So anyway, I'm grateful for it. Uh, this sermon this morning, we're going to start to get into the millennial kingdom just a little bit. Uh, we're going to kind of wrap up our, uh, the time of the tribulation and kind of move on from there. But I want to talk to you about one thing. Let's read this. This is our theme verse. Uh, let's read it together, or just that underlined part, because that's what we all agree on. Ready? Behold. What is it? Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And I want to hear you say that, because I want to know that you believe that Jesus is going to return one day. So let's read it loud and proud. Ready? Behold. He is coming with the clouds. Christ will return. He will rapture his church first. We'll go out of here and we'll have seven years of tribulation. But Jesus will come back in the second, what we call the second advent. He will step foot on the earth. And that's what we believe. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will well on account of him. Even so, amen. So let's go to our chart here. And I want to kind of show you where we are in this chart, so or where we're at in our study. Of course, we're in the church age right there. That's where we are in the time of God's grace. This is the most incredible time that the world has ever seen. It's post-resurrection of Christ when the, Jesus went up, sent the Holy Spirit down to dwell in mankind. Never happened before. Y'all know that? In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon the prophets 
He visited the prophets. He was operating on the earth, but in a different way. In the Old Testament, he operated in the saints in a different way. But when Christ came, he was the God-man. He was fully God, fully man, came to earth, gave his life on a cross, died, resurrected, and went to heaven. Now, now we're going to follow in a resurrection like that. We're going to talk a little bit about the resurrection this morning. I want all of y'all to understand this. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead completely, bodily, spiritually, his soul, he went to heaven. The God-man went to heaven. So what he did as fully God, fully man, risen, was he took man back into the presence of God. That had not happened since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell and they were separated from the presence of God. Now Jesus, being fully God, fully man, resurrected from the dead and took man back into the presence of God. And then what he also did was he told them, he says, it's a good thing that I go away because if I didn't go away, I can't send you the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who has come now to live in the presence of man. So now God is in the presence of man to the form of the Holy Spirit. Man is in the presence of God through God the Son. And so we have communion again with God and it's called the church age. That's what it is. So right now the Holy Spirit is operating in the church in the church age. One day, maybe not in the not so distant future, the rapture of the church will happen and we will be caught up to heaven. The church, the, those who are believers, who are followers of Jesus in this age, will be caught up to heaven. And we will live in heaven with Jesus while the seven-year tribulation is going on. You see that seven-year tribulation? That's while that's going on. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up that part of the tribulation period because there, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's a lot of people that think they know a lot about that. And I think there, there are a lot of things to be known about that. But it just, uh, well, you know, we, first of all, we don't have time for a lot of it because I want to get to the next part. The next thing is, is I don't want to throw guesses at you, okay? The Bible says in the book of Daniel that that seven-year period is the worst time on earth. You don't read it chronologically. You read it as a happening as a whole in that seven years, and it is really, really going to be bad, that's why it's just going to be really, really bad. But we will not be here. We will be with Christ in heaven during that seven-year tribulation period. And at the end of that seven-year that seven tribulation period will be what, we, what we're going to study this morning, the marriage supper of the Lamb and the second coming of Christ. So we're going to talk about this morning that marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of the tribulation period. So let's just begin there. Revelation chapter 19 Verses 6 through 8. This is, the, this is wrapping up. We're now wrapping up the seven-year tribulation. From Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 18 uh, is the whole description of that seven-year time period. At the end of chapter 18, we're going to see things start to shift and change. And this is what it says in the scripture. Then I heard... What seemed to be a voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. 
Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the, for fi the, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he, and he said to me, there are the, these are true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Everybody say worship God. That's very important. Uh, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The one thing that we need to understand here is uh, a lot of times we make a mistake about certain things. I'm just going to throw this in as a freebie. Um, your point, your, uh, your, your point of worship should be Jesus and Jesus alone. Uh, never put a man or a created thing on a pedestal where it should not be. Only God is king and only God deserves our worship. Everything from the beginning of scripture in Genesis to Revelation points to this fact that God and God alone is the object of our worship. When he told Adam and Eve, he says, you can eat of any of the tree of the garden except for this one tree. And that was not about eating fruit. That was about whether you would honor God as king and be obedient to him or you would put something else in front of him. When they asked Jesus, they says, they says, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, the first and the greatest commandment in the law, the one that takes most precedence, the first and the greatest commandment is in the law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we understand that God is the point. The, he, is, uh, he is the one we worship and no one else. Everybody look at the person next and say, love God. Look at the person on the other side and say, love people. Now look at the person on that same side and say, love God. Look at the person over there and say, love people. That's it. I mean, we could get, boy, if we could just get that down right there, we got this. Man, I'm just telling you. And this is what this is all about. So he is the object of our worship. So how did I do that? There we go. Okay. So here it is. Our God reigns. Now, the reason God is or should be the object of our worship is because he is ultimately king. He is almighty, all-powerful, and that's what the scripture says right here. Look at this, Revelation chapter 19, verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of a mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. Let's read that. Read that together, church. This is, get this. Let it sink in, please. Let this get you right in your heart. Ready? For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let's read it again. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. He is king. 
We need to settle that in our heart this morning because there are many of us that walked into the room today and we're worried about many, many things. And we're worried about the kings of the earth. We're worried about our governments. We're worried about, uh, we're worried about the WHO, the World Health Organization. We're worried about all these people who think they are running things. Well, I want to tell you who's in charge completely and totally, and I'm going to prove that to you this morning, our Lord God Almighty is the one who is king. He's the one who is ruling and reigning right now on the earth. And, and now I want to hear this, because this is important. Now about half of y'all clapped, and I think it should have been all of you, so let's try that again. Our God reigns. Let's do that again. He Almighty reigns. Now come on. Yes. Now... Now, look at the person next to you and say, and he has your best interest at heart. That's what you can understand, that our God, listen, he is king, so let me prove this to you. Look at this. In the book of Daniel, you know, Daniel's written about 650 B.C. It's, that's the time frame of it. So this is basically about 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene, and Daniel is seeing visions, and he's prophesying, and this is what God showed Daniel the, it, about the time of the seven-year tribulation. We're going back there, right? This is what he says about it. And the days of the kings, the, ready? The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Let's just keep that in mind as, we, as I read on because I want to show you something in a minute. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. I shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall, ready, let's read that right there. And it shall stand forever. Read it again. It shall stand forever. Talking about God's kingdom he's going to set up. Just as you saw that, uh, ready, a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that is, that is that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this? The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. So I'm going to give you a background on this verse. There was a king. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream about this guy right here. Next slide. It's these kingdoms that were set up and he could not figure out what the dream was and Daniel interpreted the dream for him. But the first dream uh, the first part of the dream was this. The king, this man that he saw, had a head of gold. That's the kingdom of Babylon. See, there's been, in world history, there's been several kingdoms that were, so, so to speak, worldwide kingdoms, or they ruled the earth at the time. The first one was the one Nebuchadnezzar reigned, on, reigned in, the kingdom of Babylon. And, the, and so he had a head of gold. And then the next one was the kingdom of Persia. came along, it was a little bit weaker and it was a kingdom of silver. And he saw the next dream, in the next part of his dream, he saw these thighs of brass, which was the Greek Empire. There's all, what I'm trying to get to you, there's all these kingdoms that have come before we see what we do now, right? And then, then there was the Roman Empire, probably the strongest empire in the world. It was, it was the Iron Empire, but it was also brittle. 
and it fell apart. And so there was all these kingdoms, and one by one by one, they all fell. They didn't last forever, did they? And then it says this, and this, is, this goes back to our study in tribulation, the tribulation time. The last part, the last kingdom, the last earthly kingdom is one that will never, ever, ever come together. Hear me. It's the, it's the, it's the last kingdom, and it says this last kingdom, his feet are iron mixed with clay. It never comes together. This is an attempt. Listen to me. This is an attempt by man to set up what we call a one world order or one world government. And what I'm telling you is, according to this prophecy in the Bible, this will never, ever make it into existence. They're gonna, the big attempt is going to be in the seven-year tribulation period. They're going to try to set up this kingdom, but it will not happen. Do you know why? Because Daniel, that, that king saw a stone coming out of heaven that was uncut by human hands. It didn't come from man. It came from God. And that stone crushed that last kingdom and set up a kingdom that would last forever and ever and ever. And we read about this stone in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Listen to this. Listen to this. Read that right there. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You know what that tells me? That tells me this. When Christ is our king... And he sets up his forever reign. Those of us who stood and believed in Jesus with all of our heart. Those of us who trusted him. You know what it says? It says what you believe one day is going to become sight. What you believe, what you believe will happen one day is your sure and absolute future. The Bible says whoever believes in this coming king will not be put to shame you see so jesus is the king and then the next one is this the next thing we just we understand that that he is the final king but here's the next thing we need to understand that he is our faithful and true redeemer look at what happens next now uh y'all don't freak out on me on this but this let's look at what the bible says and let us rejoice uh, revelation 19 7 and 8 let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory Look at this. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now I want to tell you who that is. Gentlemen, don't flip out on me, okay? That's the church. Some of you fellows, I don't know how God's going to do it, but you're going to be a bride. I'm looking at Randy McLean over there, I'm thinking, <laughs> right? How in the world is this going to happen, right? Well, see, the scripture uses marriage to describe Christ's love for the church. And it's not what we would look at in the sense of a marriage of like we see on earth as a husband and wife. It is a marriage that we see that where we have a divine and a sure 
provider, protector, one who will do what he said he's going to do. See, this is what the Bible says. Now, husbands, pay attention to this because you're supposed to be like Jesus to your wife. And it says, husbands, love your wives. And look at this. As ready, Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. Let's read that again and hear it. Okay, read it loud. Christ loved the church and he gave himself up for her. So Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life on the cross. Husbands, you hear me? This is just kind of a sermonette, part of the sermon. You're supposed to love your wives like that. Be willing to, to give of yourself. Be, a, be her provider, protector. The, the, see, and he goes on to say that he might sanctify her, that he... That, that Jesus wants the church to be pure. You know, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife so much to help her to come to that place of purity. You know, you're the spiritual leader in the house. Uh, and that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because we look back at that revelation. We say the marriage of the Lamb has come. And we see that what Jesus really is to the church because I want to tell you something. I just know how I feel as a husband. I'm a husband and I'm a family man. And there is not one single thing I would not do to preserve and protect my family. I want them to have the best that I can give them. I want to be the dad, the husband that my wife and my children deserve. And I think about Jesus, and I think this is the picture that we see of Christ in the church. See, it is a sure thing. It is an absolute sure thing as he is the bridegroom that he is going to, he's going to do and carry out exactly what he said he was going to carry out without wavering at all. And so this, this prophet John, he sees a picture in heaven of the bride of Christ, the church. And she's made herself ready for what? That's the, that's the thing that's interesting. What's about to happen here? We need to look at that. So let's look, let's look at this. Um, at a first century wedding, Jesus paid the dowry. You see, Christ paid the price for sin so that he could win the church, his bride. That's what happened in the first century. The man would go to the father of the bride and he would say i want to marry your daughter and he would say okay well uh what's the bride price and the groom would uh, the the husband the father of the bride would say well how about a cow or a goat or some money or some land the groom would have to pay a dowry for his wife to be they still practice that in some places in Tanzania, Africa. I witnessed it. And so there would be a bride price paid for the bride. That's what Jesus did when the scripture says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we go into to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 23. And it says, For the wages of sin is death. That's the bride price for the church. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus died on the cross 
and paid your sin debt, rose again and is in heaven right now. And when he raptures the church, that's when he calls his bride home. You see, in the first century, when a groom paid the bride price, he would go home, and what he would do is he would go prepare the place for his bride to be. And Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 1 through 3, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I go to prepare a place for you that where I'm going, I will come again and receive you to myself. Jesus went to prepare our place. And when the, the place was prepared... The groom would come and take his bride home. That's the rapture of the church. And then at the end of a seven-day period, one week, the groom and the bride would be presented to their community. And that's the second advent. One day, when what Christ is preparing the church for is the day that he returns and we come with him. And see, and this is, this is what this is all about. This is all about every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. They're going to see what Christ has done for the church. To him be the glory. So, the last one is this. We have heavenly relatives. I want you to think about this. He goes on to say this. Chapter 19, verse 9. And the angel said to me, write this. Let's read this. Right here, church. Read it. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, what's going to happen, and we're going to talk about that second coming next week, but when Christ returns, I believe it's going to happen on earth. There's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, a big celebration where Christ will present the church to the world. And, we, and, and, and people are going to see it and be amazed. But this is another really great thing that's going to happen is there are going to be those outside of the program of the church that are going to be invited to the wedding. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are several of these. Let me, let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. There was a guy named Father Abraham. Y'all heard of him? Okay, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. There's a song about that. I learned it in Sunday school, right? No, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to sing it. Abraham, don't have time. Or would. Uh, Abraham, in the book of Genesis, about the, first, about the 12th chapter, God goes to Abraham and he says these words. He says, I want you to leave and go to a place I'm going to show you. Abraham just left, right? He didn't know where he was going or nothing. He just did what God said. And then God promised him. He, said, he says, now in you all nations, listen to me. Everybody say All nations of the earth are going to be blessed. It's through Abraham's seed that all nations of the earth shall be blessed. God promised Abraham a son. Abraham was about 90 years old, no, 80 years old at the time, I think, when God told him to leave. His wife was about 70, I believe, to go to this place he was going to show him, and he promised him he would have a son at about 80 years old, 20 years in the making, he still hadn't had a son. And God said, and, and Abraham questioned God. He says, 
here it is, it's been a long time. Now I'm now 100 years old and I have no son. God, is this thing you told me, is it true? And listen to me. In the book of Genesis, in chapter 15 and verse 6, let me read you something. Verse 5, let's start there. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, listen. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, I want, I want to tell you what that is. I want to tell you what that means. So God's promised Abraham, in him all the nations will be blessed. Abraham's question. So he takes him outside and says, Abraham, look at the sky. Look up there. He says, he says this is what your offspring are going to be like. It's going to be so many descendants from your seed. And then, and then he said, and then it says these words, Abraham believed God, and he was called righteous. He had faith in something. Do you know that Abraham was righteous before one letter of the law was written, before one sacrifice was, was made for the law to shed blood for the remission of sin? There were sacrifices, but not for the law. Here's what I'm telling you. Abraham had faith in a coming Messiah from in him all the nations of the world would be blessed. And now, on Sunday morning, across America and throughout the world, we have people meeting, celebrating a resurrected Jesus Christ who came from Abraham's seed. The reason Abraham was righteous is not because of his deeds, not because of anything but this. He believed God, and God called him righteous. I want to tell you something this morning. If you're here, that's all the scripture says you have to do to be saved. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Just believe. See, God's program for salvation goes on the other side of the church back to the Old Testament saints and prophets who believed in a Messiah that was to come. And so these are the ones that are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's a, there's a picture of it. Y'all go home and read it later. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 talks about the resurrection of the saints that will happen, the Old Testament saints that will happen at the beginning of Christ's kingdom. But you know what else? There will also be those who are killed during the tribulation period because of their belief in a Messiah, King Jesus, who will also be resurrected, and they'll be there too. What I'm telling you is, at this marriage supper of the Lamb, there will be the church and Christ who are the focal point of the whole celebration, those who are saved by the grace of God through the work of Christ on the cross. You know what else? You know what else? There'll be people that are invited there, people like Abraham and Moses, and the prophets like Elijah and Elisha and all those, they're going to be there too. They're invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb because they trusted in a coming Messiah. You know who else is going to be there? All those people we read about last time, last time we met who, well, they, they wouldn't trust the mark of the beast or take the mark in its image because they trusted in a Messiah, Jesus, who was to come and set up his kingdom on the earth. 
So they gave their lives for what they believed. It says they're going to be there too. All of these are going to be invited to the marriage. There's going to be one big celebration. You know what that celebration is going to point toward? God's incredible grace and salvation toward mankind. In the Old Testament, the church age, and the tribulation period. So I want to to talk to you about one last thing before I close. Something that's really important, and that's this. When Christ returns and sets foot on the earth, he will bring the church with him. We're going to talk about that next week. We're going to come with him to set up this thousand-year reign on the earth, the millennial kingdom. And everyone, those Old Testament saints, those saints in the, those who believed during the tribulation period, they're going to be resurrected to life. And we're all going to be in that millennial kingdom together. And that's what the scripture describes as, we're going to talk about it next week, the first resurrection. The first resurrection is a resurrection unto life. And the scripture says that blessed is everyone who is a part of the first resurrection. Listen to this. Over whom the second death has no power. You know what that means? Here, this is really simple. Nicodemus went to Jesus by night. And he said these words. How do, how do I get saved? And Jesus tells him, we well, got to be born again. Wasn't it spiritually reborn, right? So the person that trusts Jesus is born again. So here's a way to remember that. If I'm born twice, I'll die once. And then I'm going to be in glory. If I'm born once, I'm going to die twice. Because if you're not born again and you don't give your life to Christ for salvation, then you're going to face what they call the second resurrection, which leads to death. There's going to be a final judgment we're going to talk about a few weeks down the road. And it's the great white throne judgment. And those who are raised to stand in that judgment will all be sentenced to the second death, eternal separation from God. You have an opportunity this morning to be born twice and die once. You have an opportunity this morning to give your life to Christ so that you will be in the first resurrection and not the second. You will be resurrected to life to stand with Jesus, listen to me, at that marriage supper of the Lamb. You'll be a part, you'll be the bride of Christ while you see all those others who are invited, but you have an opportunity today to do that. This morning, we have a young lady. I'm going to call her up in a minute. She's going to be baptized. She was born again, gave her heart to Jesus. She'll be in that first resurrection, celebrating in the marriage supper of the Lamb because she's my sister in Christ now because she gave her heart to Jesus. Maybe this morning, you need to give your life to Christ so that you're a part of that first resurrection unto life. This morning, if that's you, let's, would you all bow your head and close your eyes? And I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me. And if you'd like to give your heart to Jesus, right now is the time to do that.
You know, I, I just want to take a minute and tell you, it's simple. The scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's you and me. And it's just simply trusting in his grace. That's it. Man, don't let this opportunity pass you by if you've let it. You know, you've heard preachers talk, I'm sure, and you've heard people talk about getting saved. I know those things have happened to you. And you've let that opportunity pass over and over and over again. And now God has got you in this place right now. And he wants to call you to himself. He was giving you an opportunity one more time to give your life to him. So as I pray, I'm just going to teach you how to pray. You may not know how to pray. I'll help you pray it. But you call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. Just simply just pray along with me or repeat after me. And God will save your soul right now. Simply pray this. Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. And I realize the payment for sin is death. I believe you died for me and paid my sin debt on the cross. I ask you to forgive me for my sin. All of my sin. The sin I've committed and the sin I will commit. You cover it all. I believe you rose again on the third day. I believe you can give me eternal life. Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and save my soul. And it's in your mighty name, in the name of Christ, I proclaim, I am saved. Father, and I thank you for these that prayed. I ask that you would bless them today help them to understand what a mighty God you are and help us to be with them as a church to encourage them in their walk with you and it's in Jesus name I pray amen as the band is going to come up right now I'm going to ask them to come on up I want to talk to you about while they're coming I want to talk to you about something so I don't know 